Infamy. On deck, we have episode nine called Come and Get Me. Very aptly named for this episode because, whoo, Yuko does a quite a bit of jumping around here. <laughs> Pretty amazing, this episode. It actually went by in a heartbeat for me. So I know that it was fast-paced because I feel like I just started to watch it and all of a sudden it was over. So with me tonight, I have Kinte, my co-host. Kinte, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Good. Very good. I, you know, without even any uh, sort of fanfare, what did you think of Come and Get Me? Was it uh, was it faster paced or what What were you thinking? Um, it was uh, more the same. I thought it was, you know, it was good. I, for some reason, I think that this episode was actually uh, maybe not m more interesting because I think they're all interesting. But this episode had something in it that was a different pace. Uh, I, I'm not exactly sure how to explain it, but I'll, and I'm going to have to go look and see who the director was, but it definitely had a very different pacing style. And I, I feel like if they had had this pacing style the entire season, that it might have actually gone a little bit better, but I'll take it where I can get it. So we, we see uh, as the episode opens that... Uh, couple things. First of all, we know that the internment camp has basically been shut down and boy, did I ever want to punch somebody. <clears throat> when he stands up, the, the I forgot his name already, um, but see, he's so memorable. The guy who lets the people from the internment camp leave, he gives them this rousing little speech about how they should be grateful to the United States for housing them and making sure that they are, that they basically owe the United States something. And oh my God, it was just awful. Wow, really bad. But not as bad as uh, what happens next when they find out that there is no home. I mean, it looked to me like uh, Terminal Island where the Japanese uh, community was had been bulldozed. Did you see that? Did, did that yeah, sound right? Uh, that was so sad. <sighs> yeah, just one thing right after another. And, uh, you know, I, I honestly, Chester's dad has gone through such a, a, a crazy journey that at this point, it just, uh, there was this moment where he's working as the gardener and it's like he's been stripped of all his pride and so it's no wonder that when Chester calls, you know, he says, well, I'm sure my wife will make me go. But Chester calls and says, hey, you know, I need you. Uh, come on and help me. Clearly, Yuko is still around. We're not really sure what to do. Lucy's going to have a baby. And you can almost feel from Chester's dad the sense of uh, resignation. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know how else to explain it. But what did you think? Yeah, I mean, it was sad. It was just like this guy who was just beat down, oh, and uh, you know, and it, it was just oh my god, it was heartbreaking. It really was, and he's you know the thing is, I feel like at any other time, without all the circumstances that were going on, this would have been a really strong man, a very proud man, uh, a man who you know was always trying to give back to his family. I just, uh, it's, it is really heartbreaking to see sort of the threads of things unwind. But hey, you know, they hop on the bus and they head out to New Mexico. They meet Luce and Luce's abuela. They have a, a quite an interesting idea about what to do. 
um, when for when the baby is born. And um, of course, <clears throat> Yuko finds a way to <sighs> jump into just about everybody that she can. I have to say that in this episode, I was a little bit not surprised, but a little shocked at the speed at which Yuko was moving from person to person. And the reason that that was so amazing is because in prior episodes, it definitely seems like it's taken her a while to move from person to person. And in this episode, she was what? One, two, three, four people that I can count. And that, man, she's either getting really strong or something else is going on. But the, the, the central revelation uh, of this episode was um, it, it was, it, it's interesting that all of these things are all about internal family secrets and how those family secrets have really come back to haunt everyone. And, you know, the people that we thought originally, I think in the series, in the early part of the series, you can tell me what you think, um, that we thought were sort of without any blame actually end up being very complicit in this whole drama as it unwound. And I'm specifically thinking of Chester's mom. What did you think? Yeah. Um, it was very interesting because um, like this one, you know, it's one of those things, those, I call them get the band back together again. Mm. episodes, And then also uh obviously the dynamic had changed between everybody because they had went through so much. And, you know, if you think about it, they've been traumatized themselves beyond uh, Yuko. So, right. uh, and then they got to deal with this. So I thought that having to combine, combine, uh, compile all of that stuff together, compound, I'm sorry, all that stuff together. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was very interesting how that all played out. Well, I, I specifically, you know, I think that some of the really sad things involve, uh, you know, it, the, well, I guess to put it sort of bluntly and then I'll sort of back it up a little bit. But it, I mean, a lot of people were saying that they felt like Chester's mom, uh, Asako, was to blame for what had happened that if she had never done all of those things in the past, which, you know, I can sort of, I'm not that I'm, I'm not saying that they were good because of course they weren't, but it, it, they were young. They were both very young and I can understand her not wanting to marry this guy. Um, I can also understand that she didn't know that uh, Yuko is pregnant and I can also sort of feel the sense of just hurt and how long has she been carrying that stuff around? I mean, it's just, it's sort of astounding when you think back on, on the, especially the previous episodes with everything going on, that she didn't say anything prior to this, right? That she kept that all inside. I don't know. That was just, I, I felt like that was a, a, a pretty big deal. But I suppose in some ways that is just who the Nakayamas are because Henry is very much the same way. He keeps everything inside until he sort of has to spill it. And then at that point, it's, it's almost always like he says, 
<laughs> exactly the right thing, but just so bitterly. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I could get why Henry was, he, when he pulled up and he's like, uh, the only thing that I can, the only good thing is that you're not my blood. And I was like, wow. Yeah, that was hardcore. Woo. And and other stuff, you know, if you had asked me, uh, you know, I would have told you not to get involved, you know, that this is just going to cause misery and, you know, but you don't listen to me. I, I mean, there's just such a... a, a I don't like him, though, because sometimes he gets on my last nerve. Yeah, it, it's a big, that's a big mood. That's it's a like... Mood. And it's scary, too, when you think about, you know, th this is the kind of person, I, because don't get me wrong, right? They have been through a lot. And so really any way that they're going to express it at this point is going to be okay. I mean, the, there's no way that I don't think you can walk out of this being a happy, optimistic person. Even poor Amy, when she left the camp in the beginning of the episode, looked like she was just going to jump out of her skin at any moment. <clears throat> um but the but 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 there is something especially harsh about the relationship between Henry and Chester. Uh, what do you think about that? No, uh, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, like you know, the uh, the whole Japanese Japanese way of life is respecting elders and whatnot. Right. And in a lot of ways, he's been very disrespectful. You know. Yes. And. Um, you know, so he has, the, you know, he the way that he feels about how he's been disrespected by his son. And then plus being disrespected by, um, um, you know, you know, his employers and yeah. everything. It's just like that all com compounds. And, and in some ways, there's I have a very sympathetic disposition toward him. Um, not that I like what he says to Chester and not that I think that he's right, but I do understand why the weight of everything that is happening is so, he has no control over his whole life. His whole life has nothing in it anymore that he once counted on, I think, as sort of the backbone of who he was. All he has left is his pride. All he has left is his tradition and ability to do something, whatever that something is, at least he's got that. Because even when he was talking with Chester, you know, he didn't tell Chester, don't go off and commit suicide. Right. He didn't tell Chester, oh, maybe you should rethink this, or don't you think you're mother is going to be upset. I mean, nothing like that. He didn't say anything like that. And it just further underscores how really horrible that that situation that he's in must be for, I mean, I just, um, maybe I'm reading too much into that, but I can't imagine someone not wanting to stop another person, even if you don't even know that person from committing suicide. I, I also thought, <clears throat> it was interesting that uh, Asako, when she's standing on the bridge and she says, uh, you know, this is where it all started. And the amount of shame and guilt that she must be carrying seems proportionally as epic. And the idea 
that when, um, and I know I'm skipping around a lot, but uh, when Yuko is possessing the uh, Luce's abuela, right? Mm-hmm. When Asako talks to Yuko, she says in sort of no uncertain terms, you know, she doesn't say, I'm, I'm sorry. She says, she's in a, in a strange way, I think she, of course, is trying to convey that. But she, what comes across is this sense of, <laughs> I'm really, I'm still relieved that it wasn't me. Right. No, yeah, yeah. And, and it just, I mean, that's just so messed up. Oh, my God, it's so messed up. The only one who seems to be acting coherently throughout all of this is Chester. I'm not saying that Chester's ideas were great. Yeah, I'm not saying Chester's ideas were great. But he, but at least he's trying, right? At least he, he keeps trying to have a plan. He keeps trying to keep the people around him safe. He keeps trying to figure out what's going on. He's willing to do the death magic. He's willing to uh, put himself in harm's way for loose. He's willing to, he's willing to do just about anything. And from a growth perspective, he's come a long way. What do you think? Um, yes. Uh, maybe it's just, I have so many issues with his character um, maybe I, I'm not giving him credit for those things. Um, but, uh, you know, think about like who he was at the start of this show. Right. Very and, selfish. Right. And then also he was a very, you know, he's very idealistic. Right. Very. So now he's seen so much, you know, he's seen so much. He's gone through so much. His his uh, thought process of how the world works is totally different, you know? So, well, mm-hmm, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I, I was just going to interject and say, well, y- you know, yes. And I think that that's why overall his character arc seems like it is quite a bit more developed. <clears throat> and at this point, I don't find him to be idealistic. At this point, I find him to be... Uh, almost too grounded in ultra realism. Like he recognizes that he's not going to be able to escape Yuko. I mean, he, he has that pretty firmly, I think, entrenched in his own mind. And for him, the only way out seems to be the most extreme. And I, I can't say that I, I think that that, you know, again, I can't say I think that his ideas are good, but I can say that from the beginning of this series, Chester has come so far in terms of being able to put himself into a very different position. Um, and I, I don't, I feel like the Chester that left to be the translator is not the Chester of uh I'm going to go off and off myself so that I can save my family. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? No, no, you're exactly right. And I think that that's special in some ways. I mean, it's not perfect, but whew, in terms of where things are, it seems pretty dramatic. And then, <clears throat> so again, not to jump too far, uh, too far forward, but th- this, again, this episode went by really fast for me. Um, 
by the time that Yuko is possessing Luce, first let's talk about Yuko possessing the baby. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Okay, that was sort of a big... Uh, In my head, I kept trying to figure out how did Yuko get inside the baby? And are they just tripping? Like, what's going on there? Why are they just because the baby doesn't cry? How does that even make any sense? And then I realized that um, it was the priest who had put his hands on Luce's belly when he was uh, possessed by Yuko. And that's when she made the jump right but i mean so don't get me wrong right i mean in in the sense of the the show the logic makes sense but it was to me that was a bit of a not even a bit of a it was a huge shift in the way that the supernatural premise seemed to work because i i don't know it it seems like if he touched loose, then it would be loose that would have been possessed, not the baby. Like he wasn't actually touching the baby. You know what I'm saying? Right. No, no, not at all. Um, so I, I'm, I'm willing to accept it, but you know, just <laughs> didn't really, something didn't make any sense there. So, okay. So, the, but again, once loose is now uh, possessed and holding the baby, my question, and I, God, I hope you have a really good answer for this because I just, I'm drawing a blank. Why doesn't Luce, as Yuko, immediately try? Why is she now walking with the baby? <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, I, I, I've been trying and trying and trying to understand, like, what that is, and maybe. I'm just dumb and I just, you know, I'm sort of missing something really obvious, but I I just can't understand. Is she trying to actually get back to her body? Is she trying to get back to the body that is the body of Yuko? But she doesn't have a body anymore, right? Because they burned it. No, I, I'm, for the life of me, I have no idea. I'd, I'm I'm sort of confused about what's going on there. And again, you know, I, I I want to understand. I really want to sort of get to the bottom of that. But I just I don't quite know. I, I know I, I get what's going on there. I don't understand why it's going on there. So, well, I guess we'll see sort of what happens. But uh, I, I I'll say one. Uh, about uh, the, that whole sort of birth progression in the, the underground bunker. And that is, for as well thought out, I think, as Chester's plan was, one of the problems that the terror this season has is that we barely are introduced to an idea, and then the idea immediately flickers out and dies. And, you know, maybe from uh, a metaphor level that makes sense, but I, I, I find it very off-putting. Like, because it's not just like we're just sort of wandering around with a Yuri, Yuko, Chester, Luce, and the family. It's 
there's something important about location and scenes and where things line up. And I'm so confused about why they introduce us to all these elaborate sets and then they just disappear. Do you, you know what I'm saying? You know what it is, is, you know, 10 episodes is a blessing and a curse. And, you know, when you have only 10 episodes, you got to be very economical when it comes to the way that you deal with, uh, you know, the way that you deal with um, the episodes, right? Right. And, and I feel like the problem here is that uh, with this uh, with this season is they haven't really been not any really good since. Well, <clears throat> you know, I mean, there's there's plenty of other uh, series to sort of draw from, right? But right. but most of them aren't uh, one-offs. They're not anthologies. I guess American Horror Story is, but American Horror Story suffers from the same problem in some ways. And that is, there's plenty of ideas to be had out there. And 10 episodes is, you know, I mean, it's, you're right. It's long and it's short, both at the same time. But it, it certainly seems plenty long to develop something that will keep us interested and work without being uh, fragmented. And the fragmented sense that I get from watching this season of The Terror is almost overwhelming in comparison to what I saw even last season. And part of the problem, I think, is that we don't have a central antagonist that is fixed. But, you know, the, the idea of the Yuri is so good, but ultimately it's almost its own demise because it's too difficult to sort of capture in any one moment when you've got people both moving from place to place and the spirit moving from place to place. It starts feeling like we have no narrative center. I mean, I guess you could argue that the characters are the narrative center, but even then we, we seem to like jump in and out of people's lives, almost like the Yuri jumps in and out of people. And maybe it's intentional. I don't know. But it feels like incomplete storytelling. And I hate to say that because I really, again, I I have such awesome respect for what's going on here. But it just, something just doesn't quite click with what's happening. I, I, I man, that really hurts me to say because I really do love the show. Well, you know, you can love the show and then, you know, and have critique of it as well. I, I keep trying to find a way to sort of uh, couch what is happening with something that that you know, like the, the like there's a utility behind some of the things that I'm seeing, but it's really difficult to I think grab that utility when again when the um, when the necessity for understanding the narrative becomes so hard to sort of pin down. I I mean, Major Bowen is dead, so he we're just gonna let that that just dies, right? We just see his dead body at the beginning, and we see Amy being very nervous, but she leaves the camp, and so that's the end of that. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying that they can't sort of 
pull everything all together in this last episode. But I would expect that in this last episode, it's going to have much more to do with um, all of our broken characters either dying or or continuing on in a way that leaves them just as broken as they were before. Like, I mean, I was saying this before, I don't see any happy endings happening here. I don't know how it's even possible to pull a happy ending together out of this, even under the best of circumstances. What do you think? Well, as someone who likes happy endings, uh, <laughs> 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 you, walk, you walked right into that. I did. Uh, no, I don't think, I don't, I don't, I've never thought this was going to have a happy ending, uh, much like the first season. And I really don't like to compare, but this one I feel like is going to have a lot of dread too. I think it'll be a more a happier ending than the first season, but you know, that's comparatively, you know? So, uh, you know, I think it'll be happier being that not everyone's going to die. Like, you know, except for one character. Um, I just feel like it's going to be a situation where, where um, it's not going to be like the. I don't think you're going to feel really great at the end. Well, and I mean, if if we're honest, right? A good. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I I don't know if I would call this horror, but I mean, it, it edges on that genre. Uh, I think you know if we're gonna if we're gonna classify this as a supernatural thriller ultimately it shouldn't have a happy ending, right? It, it should actually end with something um, less than awesome happening. However, that does not mean that we shouldn't have a resolution because one of my main criticisms of the, of the terror last season was the resolution was insanely unfulfilling. Mm. It, I mean, it just, I mean, it, 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 <laughs> I wanted to go write fan fiction and fix the ending. It was terrible. I, and I don't mean terrible like, you know, I mean terrible as in, oh, man, what a way to leave it. And I'm a little bit nervous that that is sort of what's going to happen here. You know, the cycle is going to end up being something that is not broken. The cycle is going to end up being something that continues on. And that sort of, makes me a little bit nervous it really does i mean uh, let's let's look at this in two ways somebody will get a happy ending okay either chester and luce get the baby and move off and at least they are together that's one way right the other way is yuko finally gets the baby and she's happy right as happy as a yuri can be (laughs) uh so i mean somebody walks away with something that they want but from uh, the audience perspective yeah i'm not really sure we're gonna get anything super awesome out of it i don't yeah i don't either but i will say that this this episode went a long way for me in in sort of reinforcing what i felt like has been good about this series all along and that is it paid a lot of attention to the characters this time and i i feel like that was strong that was really strong because ultimately what we sort of enjoy about watching these series oftentimes boils down to how strong are the characters? Are they good? Are they, um, despite the fact, I don't mean good, like are they, you know, aligned good? I mean, are they effective? 
at making us feel something or, you know, want something from them. And to that end, I, I definitely found myself being very nervous for that baby on a number of occasions. And that was good. And also, before I forget, at the end, Chester calls out to Luce knowing that Luce is now possessed by uh, Yuko. Right. And we know uh, that the only thing that Yuko wants is a baby, right? Right, right. And so for him to call her mother felt very dramatic, sad, and... I I don't I just felt overwhelmed at that point like wow I I mean clearly Chester understands that what he's doing to try to get her attention is call on the one thing that he thinks that she would respond to and and that feels pretty monumental I mean when she was talking to uh Juro and she said uh pretty soon baby Taiso will be here Oh, yeah. You know, she wasn't saying, like, Chester's going to be here. She really, I think, from the spirit perspective, actually looks at Chester's baby as being his mini-me. Right. I, that was actually kind of interesting. It also makes me think that Yuko is very, uh, like I was saying before, at first I thought that Yuko had uh, many multi-faceted sort of uh, well, that her, that the personality of Yuko is very multifaceted. And now I actually think that Yuko is very, not just of singular mind, but, and purpose-driven, but also very simple about how she's perceiving what is happening in a very similar way to what we saw when Yuko was taken uh, off the bridge and brought into the afterlife realm in the garden where everything was the same every single day it it speaks to uh, of course there's a sense of ritual to it but it also speaks to a sense of simplicity mm -hmm. like you know look this is the simple truth there is no other bigger truth it's just this way it's clear it's simple it's I mean, you know, to, to sort of use that when you're looking at a Japanese garden, everything is sort of in its place. And that's how I think that Yuko is, sees the world. Like everything should just be in its place. You know, uh, getting into the mind of the Yuko is, or Yuko, I'm sorry, um, is a dark place. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think the one thing I hate to keep comparing this season to last season, but the one thing is if you compare Yuko to Tumbak, mm -hmm. obviously the backstory element is way better in this one as far as you have more of an understanding with the with the um what the terror actually wants, you know? Oh right. So in that regard, it works from a um it works from a thematic standpoint. Um, now, if you read the book, uh, obviously you had a better understanding of, you know, uh, I'm talking about the first season. Um, 
and I think maybe that might have been that that might have been an answer to um, fans why they made sure. Uh, I, I mean, that's just me guessing. I don't know. Um, they made sure that it's more understood. You know, our antagonist. So, uh, yeah. So, oh, okay. So I had heard uh, that. Um, I had actually heard that this season that that infamy was based on a book. Really? Okay. Yeah. I, mean... it, I can't seem to find where or what that is, but I, th there was a, there's enough sort of uh, you know side chatter for me to think that it really is. But I, and and in some ways, I'm actually glad that I don't know what that story is. Um, I find often that like I, I'm such an avid reader that I've read so much that nothing that comes out uh, from an entertainment perspective on TV that I sort of get to see with fresh eyes. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's actually kind of nice. But at the same time, um, I also kind of feel like I'm missing out on something that might be important. And I, I, that doesn't sit so well with me. I don't like that. Mm. You know, I mean, part of the reason that I really enjoyed the first season of The Terror is even though they created so many different things to happen, um, I still always felt like I had a bit of retrospective understanding of what was supposed to be happening and sort of how it was playing out and things like that. Um, and here, I just feel a little lost in the dark just a little and uh, maybe that's good i don't know uh, one one you know little thing that keeps bugging me which i i like and yet find myself sort of grappling with is this idea that so much of this shame is women born and hear me out because i'm this where i'm not going off on an ultra feminist rant okay but <laughs> it's it is difficult for me to sort of understand why so much first of all the women in this show are so strong i mean even when they're hurt even when they are suffering in a way that is just unimaginable they find a way to overcome i mean that's it's it, there's just some great fortitude there and there is a disproportionate amount of emotional anguish that is just heaped on all of the female characters in this uh, series, in this season anyway, because mm -hmm. uh, there really weren't too many women in the terror season one, except one, uh, maybe Tinbach was a woman, we don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but, but that to me has, I mean, you know, we're about to see the finale next week. This feels to me like I don't expect, I, I don't expect actually that the men will ever sort of understand from a woman's perspective what has been transpiring here 
right? Do, I don't know. What do you think? No, of course not. Uh, because no, this is definitely a different take. So, uh, no, of course they wouldn't. In some ways, it's actually kind of nice because, it, like I said, you know, in the first season of the Terror, where we've got uh, the the bulk of the cast, it was all male; they were all men. And mm -hmm. so, the things that they were inflicting upon themselves, and then Tunbok too, um, just felt so dramatically different. Um, the, the the amount of emotional anguish just seemed so much more or, or i should say less but it felt metered you know it felt like okay this is a man versus nature kind of scenario and man versus man and man versus himself and you know i mean yes all those things but it never felt like to me um that that the that the men were experiencing a sort of disproportionate amount of just absolute anguish, except for, uh, um, oh gosh, my just drew, drew a complete blank. Um, we interviewed him on the show, Doctor Good, sir. Good sir, thank you. Um, Already, forgive, please forgive me for not remembering that. Um, <laughs> the, the, except for him, who I felt like that was just wow he really did bear a lot of that um other than that it really to me felt like the, the it was sort of all their own making anyway i mean except for tunbok everything was sort of all their own making and here it feels like none of this is their own making i mean yes ultimately the decisions and you know what chester's mom did and things like that do you get the sense that that there is something just that weighs so heavily on the characters here, especially on the female characters, that is just so different? Well, you know, let's just be honest, um, that uh, these characters, you know, a lot of it is, you know, think about what we're talking about. We're talking about childbirth. We're talking about loss of children. We're talking about um, um, talking about unrequited love. We're talking about you know these different things. So uh, a mother's love for her son as well as her grandbabies, you know. Right. And um, so in this regard, it's a different feel than than what we had in the first season you know it's just a, t a totally different scenario so it, it does feel like it's it's uh correct i feel this in the way you're doing it. Th this season feels less to me like uh a supernatural ghost story although there is plenty of supernatural going on it mm -hmm. feels less like a supernatural story and more like a story of just extreme um anguish brought on by secrets um well you know it's it's anguish brought on by women <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's one way to think about it let's just be honest in this one a woman is the, the villain of the the piece so yeah, yeah. yeah exactly and but that's what but i think 
if we go back to the very beginning about, you know, and I mean, it's taken us a long time to figure out what the beginning really was. If the beginning was Chester's mom, uh, not Hugo, but Chester's mom, feeling as if she was to blame for the way, uh, for what happened to Hugo. I, I feel, first of all, I feel like that's a huge mischaracterization because I don't think that that is necessarily true, but, but I, I, I get the, I do get the feeling that if she's carried this around for her whole life, it had to have caused a kind of blackness on or stained, I should say her relationship with others, right? Because you can't carry a secret that huge for your entire life and not have a price to pay for that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that just, and, and in some ways the terror in this season, the terror really does make that a central point. You know, all the characters who are touched by Yuko all sort of suffer from some, uh, there's some piece that is, uh, that, that comes about whenever she's around that uh -huh. is revealing, you know? No, no, I mean, you know, look, for this next episode, which is the finale, uh, so many, hopefully we'll get answers and I don't think they're going to be the answers that me or you are looking for. Right. It'll be interesting uh, to say the least. We'll see. Either we're going to be uh, pleasantly surprised or we're going to be uh, not surprised and disappointed. <laughs> so <laughs> well, I, I will say this, uh, that so far, all the way up until this point, although there have been some ups and downs and it's been a little bit rocky here and there, it has this, show has significantly changed the way that I look at storytelling and how I interpret what is important narratively. And that's really big for me because I, I do this constantly. I mean, I watch a ton of series. I watch a ton of movies. And so to have a series really change the way that you think about how you're perceiving what's happening on the screen is no small, that's no small task. So I have to give it a bit of hats off to that. All right. So we will definitely be back next week to wrap everything up and hopefully get some resolution. We'll see what happens to Chester and hopefully something good will happen to that little baby that's just been born, who I must say was absolutely adorable. Mm -hmm. How can people find you on social media? They can find me at Kente F on Twitter and Kente Ferguson on Instagram. And of course, the website is IndieRadio.org. That's I-N-D-Y Radio.org. How can they get you? People can find me on Twitter at FollowingBliss1. And you can find my websites at MoviesMakeTheMeal.com and CriticalLaps.com. Until next week, we'll see you soon. Peace. <laughs>